There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This month marks the 70th anniversary of singer Pat Boone's prolific recording career, which began in April of 1953. He joined me to discuss his journey from a 50s teen idol with hits like Love Letters in the Sand all the way to the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. At this stage in my life and career, I'm trying to, I've got 16 grandkids and 17 (laughs) great-grandkids. The grandkids know who I am. The great-grandkids don't have an idea. They're too young. (laughs) They will one day. (laughs) I'm trying to build a library of all this kind of stuff that they can visit with me when the old man is long gone. (laughs) Totally. That's that's great. I love the foresight of that, to leave a little little, uh, time capsule behind. (laughs) I love it. You know, I don't know too much about my great-grandfather. I really don't. Did I read that you might be related to Daniel Boone? <laughs> Definitely direct descended from Daniel Boone, yeah. Oh, you did the old genealogy test or whatever? <laughs> yes, I have the actual chart that, that shows that I am a direct descendant of Daniel Boone, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So how many greats is that? Great, great, like five greats, six greats? It's, uh, it's great. Oh, back to him, it's five. That is he- so cool. He was born in 1734, and I was born in 1934, uh, so that's uh, 200 years apart. But uh, but it, you know it, it goes back about six generations, six or seven. That's so cool. That's here so I am. At, uh, here I am at 88. He lived to be 94, and I'm and I'm planning on doing at least that that well, maybe longer. Oh, you could outlast him. I think you can pull it off. <laughs> awesome. Well, we should tell everyone the reason we're talking. Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Um, uh, it's the first we should say it's you know you're talking history, but it's the I believe this is the 70th anniversary of your recording career. I think it began in April 1953. So yeah, if I do the math, that's 70 years. Can you believe it's been that long? Well, you know what? I, that was come to think. Of, I've been calling it 70 years, and if you do it that way, yes. But I. I did make a record in Nashville on a label called Republic Mm. when I was about 18 and uh, not much. It got some regional airplay, but it was not terrific. Then I won the Ted Mac amateur hour eventually in New York, which is the forerunner of, you know, all the voice, the the voice and uh, the uh, American Idol, all those shows. And then uh, that led me to a record contract. So it, it was March of 55 when I first began uh, having million selling records. Right. But we can, uh, for the sake of this uh, neat, tidy 70th anniversary hook here for this interview, we can say that original Republic record uh, was April 1953. (laughs) And I will be be 89 in June of this year. Right. Wow. Wow. Well, you 
since you mentioned it, uh, you know, what was it like uh, becoming? I mean, I know you think I think I read somewhere you originally maybe were thinking about becoming a teacher before the whole teen idol thing of being on Ted Mac Amateur Hour. So, like, what was that? It must have been a whirlwind to, you know, suddenly be someone maybe going to go into a teaching career. And suddenly everybody knew you were from from like you were the American Idol of your day. That's the best description I've heard of it. A whirlwind. <laughs> I was on my way. I married at 19. Shirley and I. Her dad, Red Foley, the great country Hall of Fame singer, was taking his uh, widowed. He was a widower. Her mom had died when she was 37. And 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 uh, when when uh, Shirley, my wife, was 16. So at 19, he was taking when we were 19, he was taking his family to Springfield, Red Foley, that is. And I couldn't stand to let her go. And she didn't want to go. And so I asked his permission and her and we married at 19. Now I go to North Texas State in Denton, Texas with a big music school. But while I'm there, I, I uh, won a talent contest, went to New York, was on the Ted Mac Amateur Hour, won three weeks in a row. And uh, and that led to a record contract. And before I knew it, uh, I, my first record was March of 55. And it was, it was a cover of an R&B classic song called Two Hearts, Two Kisses by The Charms. Mm-hmm. And I had it was a million seller, and then the next was Ain't That a Shame, Fast Domino, another million seller, number one, and then uh, and then it just kept going after that. And I transferred to Columbia University, and uh, and where I did graduate in twenty in, in fifty eight, nineteen fifty eight, and at that point I had to make a decision between looking for a teaching career <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> or I had contracts for movies, television, and recording. And I had to see where those went first, but I didn't really expect it all to continue, but it did. It just kept going and going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned those early R&B hits, you know, you went to number one with Ain't That a Shame by Fats Domino originally. And then I guess like uh, Little Richard, you covered Tutti Frutti and Long Tall Sally. You had hits with those. What? Why do you think R&B was such a great uh, launching point for you. I mean, I guess at the time, uh, what they called them, quote unquote, race records. Um, and a lot yes. of white artists like uh, Elvis and uh, and yourself and others were having big success with it. Um, I mean, I know we're in a different place today where we look back on the, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, at the time, sort of drop us in at the time of sort of the, the mindset of all that. I will. In fact, you, 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 you nailed it pretty well. There weren't a lot of people doing rhythm and blues music at all. And as you say, it was called race music, black stations, uh, their own magazines, and of course, they own artists. The only R&B artists that are remembered today are the ones who were covered. That is, their songs recovered and and uh, and went into, you know, pop music. We that drew actual R&B music, which became a fertile field for pop things. And we were calling it rock and roll. There was no rock and roll till 1955, and and we were borrowing that phrase from. From from their records, we're going to rock and roll all night long, honey. Well, that could include dancing, but probably not. That was not all inclusive. Right. It was going to party all night long. Then rock around the clock, Bill Haley, from the movie Blackboard Jungle, and then and then and then the producers, the A uh, and R people, were finding these catchy, hooky songs in rhythm and blues, and having some of their artists record them. And they called it cover records. Well, I came along on just the cusp of that. And I, my first record was Two Hearts, Two Kisses. And I no sooner had recorded it, and we thought we had a hit with it, 
Then the next day, we found that Frank Sinatra had recorded that song. Uh, Doris Day had recorded that song. Two groups, the DeCastro Sisters and uh, and uh, Lancers, a men's, a men's group, all have had recovered that song. But the nation's number one DJ at that time in Cleveland, Bill Randall, he was the professor, they called him. And, and all the other DJs took his cues. So when he said, out of all the records on the cover records of Two Hearts, Two Kisses, Pat Boone's is the only one that captures the feeling of the song. He's it's his record. More than Sinatra and Doris Day. T take that. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard Francis. I mean, Sinatra's record. It's you could tell he wasn't enjoying it. He hated <laughs> rock and roll. But, you know, the, the producer said, hey, you got to do this. Doris Day, I've never heard hers. And I'm glad because there's no way she was going to capture the fun and the excitement of one heart's not enough, baby. Two hearts will make you feel crazy. One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses take you to paradise. Two hearts, two kisses make one love. And hey, uh, thank you for singing that, you know, because when you sing it, we can use it. We don't have to worry about copyright. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then it was ain't that a shame. And I was off and running. And uh, and neither Frank nor Doris even tried to record those record those songs. And Elvis came right after me about six months later and was my opening act. And he covered an R&B song called That's All Right, Mama. Uh, uh, anyway, anyway, you please. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 he but he followed me. So I had the first R&B cover and then. And that's when we started calling it rock and roll. And I've said a number of times, I think he and I were midwives at the birth of what we call rock and roll. Because up till then, it was just pop and R&B, separate genres. And we helped fuse the two. That's great. That's great. And 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 great work on you and Elvis's part. Obviously, legends, the two of you were sort of, I guess, one, number one and number two on the charts for like the right. the 50s and maybe even to the early 60s. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad that, you know, you know, the Fats Dominoes and Little Richards and, you know, uh, Chuck Berry's and, the you know, the other, yeah. you know, black musicians at the time finally got their flowers as well. So I'm glad we that, helped, you know, they all became helped. household names. See, that's what we don't get credit for. We helped them come over, crossover, as we call it, from pure R&B into pop, rock and roll. And. You know, my versions of those songs uh, sold more by 10 times, like Fats Domino's Ain't That a Shame. Uh, his was 150,000, and it was number one R&B. I did his song. It was number one millions, multi-million seller. And he said he made more money. He literally did from my records of his song because he was the songwriter publisher. So he the royalties went to him every time it was covered. From my records. Mm -hmm. So I sold 10, I sold a million and a half like that, where he had sold 150,000. And he was thrilled. And Little Richard, same thing with, uh, you know, with the ones you mentioned, uh, wop, bop, a loop, bop, a lop, bop, bop, you know, Can and uh, rip, uh, yeah, rip it up and the long, tall Sally. I did those songs and a lot of the others. And they were, as I say, uh, their music was good for me and I was good for their careers. Would they use those songs to cross over? And I even had them on my TV shows. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to get into those TV shows in a second, but first I want to double back to something you said about Elvis. It was your opening act one time in like 1956? Well, that that must be a hard hard act to fuck. <laughs> well, no, no, see, it was not because I'd only been recording since March of that year, and this was October of 55, that same year. But between March of 55 and October of 56, I had three million selling singles. And that's when I met Elvis. He came backstage at a sock hop in Cleveland and they asked him to come up. He had just been signed to RCA Victor, but he hadn't recorded anything for them. He only had a, a Bill Monroe a bluegrass song, Blue Moon of Kentucky, Keep on Shining. Shine well, on the one that's gone and left me blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My but grandpa he, always sang that song. I love that song. <laughs> and he tried to make it sound like rhythm and blues, but there's no way. And the kids didn't care for the music, but they liked the way he looked. So when he finished that, he said he wanted to do the B-side. He said, thank you very much. I'd like to do the other side of that record for you. Hope you like it. And that's all right, mama. That's all right with me. Any way you please. And I was listening to him backstage, and I realized that RCA probably was going to do very well with this kid. <laughs> but we didn't meet after. He left after his a, a and B sides, that was it, and he was gone. And he didn't get the screams that night. I did, only because I had three million sellers in the, uh, what, nine months previous. And so when we met later again, we were both renting homes in Bel Air, making movies at 20th Century Fox at the same time in adjacent studios. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time together, two Tennessee boys, me from Nashville and him from Tennessee, uh, uh, from Memphis. So I said, Elvis, that first time we met in Cleveland, you seemed so scared or nervous. He said, well, I didn't know how to talk to you, man. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you were a star. I said, a star? I'd just been recording since March of that year. <laughs> yeah, but you had hit records and, and I didn't know how to talk to you. And that's the way he was. He was socially shy on mm. stage. Look out. He was great. But uh, but socially, he was not comfortable in situations where he didn't know the people when I shook hands with him, I held out my hand to shake hands and he let me shake his hand, but he didn't squeeze back. And nobody had really taught him. That's right. how a man shakes hands. <laughs> and uh, and then when I got to know Priscilla very well, she said that living with Elvis in Palm Springs with all of his buddies always there, she felt like she was living in a, in a boy's dorm. Mm. She'd get up in the morning and walk in and there's his friends, his buddies playing pool and Elvis is up then before he started taking all the sleeping pills. <clears throat> and uh, it was not a life conducive to a strong marriage because so it, it really didn't work. But he would visit me in the afternoons during that early period. I'd be in the swimming pool with my four little girls and the girls would get out of the pool and run up and jump up on him. And I said, well, stop that girls, you're getting him all wet. He said, leave him alone, man. I like it. And he did. He he was wanting what I obviously had, a, a wife and right. a family, kids. But right then, Priscilla was stashed at still too young and, and back at right. Graceland. And he was a, a huge, iconic star. But he couldn't have the quiet and lovely home life that I already had. And that right. so we stayed friends and we shared back and forth, two Tennessee boys. And I was... Uh, with uh, Priscilla and um, Lisa Marie this last year in August at the 45th anniversary of his death. And 
they asked me to come in and talk about my friendship and relationship with him over the years. And I did. And uh, I could see that that uh, Lisa Marie was not feeling well. I didn't know that she was only going to live another month. Right. But, um, but so so Priscilla is still around. She's the last now of that little bit of a family. And uh, and I, I feel really sorry for her. But she's strong. And I know she's going to she'll make it. She'll keep going. But boy, the tragedies they've had. Oh, the tra- tragic light. And like you're saying, it's got caught up in sort of the sex, drugs and rock and roll, flashier, more dangerous, darker sides of the whole thing. Whereas for you, thankfully, you you know, you and your your late wife, well, Shirley, I, what, married for 65 years, weren't you? Yeah, we're married for 67. Now we're still Seven? married. She's been in heaven a couple of those years. But oh, but I love how you put that. Yeah. So you still count the years. That's true. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. We still have our anniversary and she's saving a place for me. And uh, there's never going to be another Mrs. Pat Boone, I can guarantee you. We had the ballast in our lives. And I I made the remark in a couple of columns and interviews that people don't think about it, but sometimes sudden rush, rushing success can do more harm than prolonged uh, poverty. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can be struggling for a long, long time and still have moments of, of that that you that you enjoy and can appreciate where... If your whole life is one hectic, uh, huge success, uh, it can set you up. Jimi Hendrix and and uh, so many others we can name, Kurt Cobain and Janis Joplin. There, you can go on and on, yeah. And it's all that sudden rush, and you can have anything you want with no 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 nose, no boundaries. Yeah, and can it can be worse for you yeah. than struggling and never quite making it, or having a little success and it fading. Right. But Elvis, he had it all, all the way, more than he wanted. And it, it took his life, really. Yeah. I mean, from Elvis to Amy Winehouse, a newer, you know, it, 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 we've seen this story time and again, um, that sudden rush of fame. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Well, either way, I'd like to sort of double back to you, the way you sort of handled it because I want to get to some talk some of your, your hits that you had back then, uh, back when Elvis was sort of scared to shake your hand because he was starstruck of you. Um, he got over that. That's hilarious. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Um, are a lot of your fans that are listening to this will remember I Always Lost My Mind and Don't Forbid Me and April Love and Moody River. There's so many, but um, tell me about uh, Love Letters in the Sand, recording that one. That's like one of your most beloved, I think, that a lot of our listeners uh, will love to this day. But uh, how, how, why, why do you think that one connected so well with, with audiences? Well, first of all, it came out in the summertime. Every, all the teenagers had their little boom boxes. They were pretty new and you could take them to the beach with you. And even if you didn't have a beach, you took them wherever you were. And it was summertime and it was a it really was a summertime song writing love letters in the sand. Mm-hmm. And um, and I it was in my first movie, Bernadine, and it had nothing to do with this plot of the story, but they just needed me to sing another song. So I had already recorded it. Bing Crosby had recorded it years before and it was not a big hit. 
but Randy Wood of Dot Records liked it. And so I recorded it and I whistled at the beginning of it and in the in the middle of it. And um, I always look for excuses to whistle in my records anyway. I like <laughs> to do that. But uh, but that record, it came out at the right time while my career was just really taking off. It was the B-side of the A-side, Bernadine, which Johnny Mercer, the great songwriter, had wow. written for my film. But The Love Letters in the Sand was written by Nick Kenny, a columnist for the New York Post, uh, writing the words in a poem. And then uh, the melody was written by a guy named J. Fred Coots, <laughs> C-O-O-P-Z, I think. And uh, But that song just took off, and I've, I've never understood quite why the longevity of it after it was no longer in the summer, but it, it was a summertime song. But it had more than that to it. It was I've had people tell me they had it sung at their weddings. Wow. And I say, why? It's about a love affair that didn't last. Now my broken heart aches with every wave that breaks over love letters in the sand. Ever you broke every vow. But they they loved it so much they'd have it sung at their weddings. Maybe they weren't I listening to the words. <laughs> they didn't pay attention close enough or they liked the melody or something. Uh, well, you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, your the the TV show you had, the weekly musical variety series. What was it called? The yeah. Pat Boone Chevy Showroom? I think you were the youngest ever to, to have a weekly show like that, um, if, I, if I read that somewhere. But um, talk about all of the you know, the, the huge names that you, that appeared on there with you that you helped launch. I mean, I, I could list them, but I, it'd be better in your voice. <laughs> well, you know, this was part of what I always say that my career, I didn't seek it. I didn't make it happen. It happened to me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when my records took off and I was a sudden teen idol, even though I was married and having kids every year, but the kids didn't seem to mind that. I was singing rock and roll and I was young, their age, wearing white buck shoes. And so when that show, they came to me, ABC, and suggested I do a weekly show, and I became the youngest guy at 20, 21, and I just barely 22, when I when I was hosting a nighttime, middle-of-the-week show, Chevy show, and all the top stars in the business, Perry Como, Eddie Fisher, uh, 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 Johnny Mathis, Sammy Davis, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, um, on and on and on. Nat King all, Cole, right? Andy Williams, Nat, Pearl Bailey. Well, yeah, they all came on my show and I got to sing with all of them and they were just treating me as an equal. And of course, that was a rush course in how to sing pop music and to, and to get with whatever the, the kind of music was to get with the program. Because I was scatting a little bit with Ella Fitzgerald <laughs> and then singing Nature Boy his own record with, with Nat King Cole, but uh, with Tony Bennett and Mel Torme and, and even all, all artists who didn't sing, Gina Lola Brigida and many uh, actresses. And here I was 22, 23, when, at, at, when I graduated from Columbia, magna cum laude, and with honors, uh, I was on the cover of TV Guide in my cap and gown. You open it up and there's a picture, me, Shirley, and our four little girls. And we, we were both 23 years old. Wow. That's what was happening then. It was unbelievable. But it was just a heavy, heavy rush of activity. And as I say, too much success can, uh, can be harmful. But in my case, I had a wife, four daughters, a family that I cared very much about. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, even after we moved to California. 
I said to my wife, Shirley, we're going to live by Tennessee standards. We're not going to adopt Beverly Hills or Hollywood standards. We're going to <laughs> and you later appeared in the Beverly Hillbillies. So there you go. <laughs> yes, I did. I sure did. Hey, you did some homework. Yeah, Great. that's the that's the job. That's the whole point of this, right? If you're if you're talking to Pat Boone, you better get your stuff and ducks in a row before you you hop on. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you, you don't you think you're interviewing? And my wife said she felt she was married to triplets. <laughs> she wished two would go away and just she'd, she'd take one of us but she didn't she didn't like the ones that were always infernally busy and taking on new things like right now in just a very few minutes i've got to go do my next two shows for Sirius xm's 50s on five which is on every week yeah uh that channel and now we're talking about me having my own channel on Sirius xm because i do another show called kaleidoscope on a uh, internet uh, station that's international. And it's one hour a week of me and all of my music, the 2,300 songs that I have recorded. And I did three more this last year. Yeah. And now, of course, Grits adding to the mix and a whole country album. That's your new but, country song, right? With Ray Stevens, the Gatlin brothers, Lori Morgan, Deborah Allen, and Roger Miller's son, Dean Miller. Now that's a lineup. <laughs> that is a lineup and it's fun and it's a hit. It's already... Like last week, it was number 20 in downloads and what 11 in streaming. And uh, I mean, that's a whale of a lot of people tuning in, not just to hear it and hear it again, but to download it. And so that I think we're about and we're doing two videos. You have to have videos today. So we've got a uh, animation video and now we're going to have one. I'm going to go to Nashville next week and record, uh, uh, make a, a video. Uh, but a live video with line dancing and hopefully with some of those same people, Ray Stevens, maybe uh, Dean Miller. He said he felt like his dad could have written that song, Grits, which is the highest compliment he could pay me. <laughs> you, have you heard any of it yet? They sent me a link. Oh, yeah. Grits, grits, bestest food there is, country, uh, country caviar, Tennessee foie gras, grits, grits bestest food there is keep your fancy food give me my grits that song came to me in a dream i dreamed came you in a dream I, yeah and when i came out of the dream i had that verse those rhymes and descriptions of of what grits is grits is <laughs> and it's country caviar and tennessee foie gras and somebody <laughs> said, father gras i bet you those are the only time those words have ever been in country songs and it's probably true <laughs> probably wow grits came to he's dreaming about grits folks and, yeah and it, a big hit that's great that's great well uh i know you said you got to run in the final seconds do you mind telling me about writing exodus because i'm a big movie guy and i know you wrote the lyrics to the movie theme it was Otto premature directing it you know, yes. starring, starring paul newman about the creation of israel obviously but and ernest gold did the music i guess but Ooh, um but tell no, me about oh i love i love movies that now we're getting into my wheelhouse but just real quick i'd love to hear uh, uh you know just the memories of writing that i want to tell you that because it is an incredible story uh it was 69 59 i think i think it was about 1959 or 60 when that movie was a huge hit with paul newman as you said it was 60 and that song was it yeah, so you're probably working on it in 59, yeah. And so, bum, 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 bum. Anyway, I heard that melody and I had to sing it. And we contacted the publisher. It said there won't be any words because three men who have veto power have to 
have to uh, accept those lyrics and professional writers were submitting lyrics, but they were trying to condense 2,000, 4,000 years of history into that short melody, a beautiful stirring melody, but it was hard to do. And so I, but I had to sing it. So uh, I, it was a Christmas Eve. My wife was begging me to please help her get all the presents under the tree so we could go to bed. And I was listening to the Ferrani Teicher record, bum, 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 bum. And, and I said, honey, just one more time. I was just trying to get an idea to submit to a professional writer. I wasn't thinking of writing it myself. And as I put the needle on that 40th time, bum, 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 words came, this land is mine. And I got goosebumps because I thought I stopped, took the needle off. That's the whole story. Forget trying to condense, uh, you know, millions of people and thousands of years into one little song. Mm-hmm. Make it about one person. Yeah. God gave this land to me. And I think, whoa, that's the Sabras, the the women fighting along the soldiers. When I look, uh, when, and I go on with, I just started playing the melody and it, in 20 minutes, piece by piece by piece, as I would play, bum, 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 bum. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I'd write that down. Then I see a, ch- see a land where children can run free. And I'm just writing it down as fast as I can. And when I finished, I turned over what I was writing on. It was the back of a Christmas card. <laughs> and now that Christmas card is on the wall at Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in yeah. Jerusalem. They asked for whatever I wrote the words because it became the second Jewish national anthem. Wow. Until Not I the died. Holocaust Museum in D.C., the one in actual oh, No, uh, no, the one in Israel. Wow. It's the Holocaust Museum in Israel, in Jerusalem. Wow. And I've seen it there, the, 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 but on the back of the Christmas card, and they said, so much the better because they know that evangelical Christians now are their strongest supporters because we identify strongly with Israel. And I myself wear my Star of David and uh, my Magen David and the Chai and uh, Jewish symbols because people know I'm a Christian, but I am an all also adopted Jew. Wow. Because my savior is a Jew. <laughs> right. You know, and that's the, the mistake that was made by King James when they were translating the Bible was separating it into Old and New Testaments. If it had just stayed one long thing, then you would be reading out of the law of Moses and the, and into Jeremiah and and, uh, and Isaiah and Malachi and, and the other uh, Old Testament, we call them books talking about the coming messiah and then and then to go right into matthew mark luke and john of the messiah coming all of it jews all of it about jews for jews about little israel a savior coming a jew from israel right jesus Uh, was a jew yeah and so uh, i mean i knew all of that and i tried to bring it all into the song but of course the main focus was on the ethnically jewish people themselves and the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he he keeps his promises. So uh, you can count on that. So uh, anyway, I that song then became the, the lyric of what is now considered the second Jewish national anthem. Wow. I love that. I love how you view, you know, view it all as one long, you know, one continuing arc of a story, you know, Judaism, yes, Christianity. That's what it is. It's all Jewish. If we become Christians, we are we become part of God's chosen people. Right. The Jews are his chosen people. 
and we we follow a Jewish Messiah and and adopted into his family, then we are to that extent Jews ourselves. <laughs> that, that's a, you you raise a good point, and and I know you also appeared as didn't you play an angel at the tomb in the greatest story ever told, George Stevens? Yeah, you know this thing, <laughs> really? Well, I yeah. just interviewed George Stevens Jr. last week. I have his uh, autobiography right there, uh, talking about his dad and working on all that. So, um, Sidney Poitier helping Jesus carry the cross, all that stuff. So, yeah. but that's cool that you were you were an angel at the tomb. I that's what... the, you know. I got to say now, this sounds presumptuous of me but but i'm only talking spiritually now and biblically the words that that were spoken and uh over the manger the angels singing you know joy to the world the lord has come and um and they were they were prophesying they were speaking the language that a savior has been born uh in in israel and in, in bethlehem well, those words were important, but if if the angel in the tomb couldn't have spoken what he spoke, it would all be meaningless. But I got to say those words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And uh, and it, one of the, one of the gospels says you'll find him at the, by the Sea of Galilee, where he told you to meet him. And and so that for me to get chosen, now of course. I talked to George Stevens when he was, we were getting ready to do the scene. And I said, Mr. Stevens, I, I've studied acting a good bit and I understand the method version of getting under the skin of who you're playing. But how do you get under the skin of an angel? Mm. And he said, Don't worry about it. One of the scriptures says a young man in white raiment. You just be, yes, you're angelic, but to appearances, you'll look like a young man in white raiment and just have a little edge in your voice. Like, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't say it quite that much <laughs> condemning, but uh, <laughs> he is he is risen just as he said. But I spoke it very emphatically. However, when I and my family were in the in the premiere and the Cinerama Dome out here in California, oh, yeah. lights came up. They said, where were you? Where were you in the film? I was the angel at the tomb, but George Stevens had me in a in a uh, a, a robe with a with a a hoodie, and he and about diagonally across my face was a shadow, and mm -hmm. so really, I could not have told that it was me. Right, but I, but I was glad. I didn't want people to say, "Oh, look, there's Pat Boone." No, no. Right. I was glad to be the one to ch be chosen, and you could, if you know it's me, then you'll you'll recognize me, but. If not, you know, all you know is an angel appeared and you heard you hear those words. That's the important part, not who's playing them. John Wayne, I thought, was an intrusion. He's the centurion, he, right? Surely he's the son of God. Yeah, yeah. But you can tell it's John Wayne. <laughs> he said, Surely, Pilgrim, this was the the son of God. And yeah. you could tell it was John Wayne. Right. You're like waiting for him to say, that'll be the day he rises. You know, it's a, out of it, you right. Know. Exactly. No, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's kind of cool that you're ambiguous. Kind of like in Ben-Hur, you don't even see Christ's face. I, I think that's a little more, not, nothing against Max von Sydow and, and, you know, and George Stevens' vision and all that. But I kind of like the little bit more of the mystery because it's, you know, if it's something otherworldly, yeah. let's keep I it never a little. Could, I never could accept Max von Sydow as good an actor as he is, great as he played the role, but. Jesus was dark-skinned, right. Jewish, and 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 that was considered Africa, where he was, and, and was later on for centuries considered Africa. 
I agree so with you. He, Jesus was a person he, of color, historically. He, was not, yes. he wasn't Scandinavian. Right, with blue eyes like Max von Sydow. <laughs> rest in peace, Max von Sydow. Exorcist is a yeah. legendary. And uh, Seventh Seal, all the all the rest. Great stuff. But I, I really enjoyed <laughs> this because you know know me as well as I know myself. Thank you. <laughs> well, you are. You said what? Your wife said you were triplets. So, I mean, I'm, to interview three of you, I had to bring my I'm homework. the more loquacious one. I can't quit talking. <laughs> but but I have to now because I've got to go do the, the 50s on five or 50s gold stuff at Sirius. Go in for their it. Studios. Well, everyone check out those uh, shows and check out the new song Grits. And Grits. Uh, and uh, yeah, congrats. Uh, you can tell you're a man of faith, gospel music, hall of fame. All of that's coming out in, in your in your voice. You just gave me a memorable quote. You say congrats. I say congrits. <laughs> because congrits is with grits. So, congrats. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.